please welcome back to the stage Startup Health's Howard Krein and Dr. David Feinberg, Vice President of Google Health. David, thank you for being here. My pleasure. I don't know of how many um, people can understand for me the excitement of having, I got to speak with Toby Cosgrove this morning and you this afternoon. That is a physician's dream because these are two, truly, uh, two of the biggest names in healthcare and in innovation in healthcare. So thank you so much for being here. Totally excited. All right. So um, first thing, so as most of you know, David, Stephen had mentioned, um, was running Geisinger. You've, been, you've run a couple healthcare systems. Um, the first thing I want to know, okay, and we'll get into Google and everything, how does a company um, uh, take a physician and, and entice him to leave healthcare that you've sort of grown up in and, and were sort of molding to join a company? Well, the, the transition from the healthcare world to the tech world for me was a really um, difficult decision. I, I needed to convince myself that, or be convinced that a place like Google was serious about health, yeah. um, that there could be big impact, but most importantly, um, would they allow me and the team that I assemble treat the people that come to us either through search or YouTube or the docs or nurses that we're building tools for, would they, let, would they allow me to treat them as if they were my own patients? Yeah. And that to me was absolutely crucial in making a decision because um, I, I don't think I've changed. I think I've spent my professional career uh, starting out with helping little kids who were having mental health issues and helping their families. And then I had these great opportunities administratively to take care of what I think of through others, more people. And to me, this was just an opportunity when I was finally convinced to be able to really improve people's lives around the world. Right, yeah, uh, for, with, a, with a tremendous platform. Yeah. The interesting thing is everybody always says, oh, Google, it's a tech company. Um, the amazing thing as a physician, you know this, uh, patients come in every day. It, it's like Dr. Google, because if you ask a patient, you give a diagnosis, you say, everybody has Googled before they even come into the office for the most time, most time um, to get information. So Google's a data, a data company, basically, right? That's what, it, that's what sort of, I should say, um, what it started out as. Um, are they serious about healthcare? So first of all, I would say that Google is a consumer company. Right? And, yes. And when we talk about tech getting into healthcare, um, well, raise your hand in the audience if you've seen your primary care doctor or seen a specialist, and I, I, you don't have to if you don't want to give me this personally, in the last 60 days. So we've maybe 10% of people. Raise your hand if you've gone to Google in the last 60 days to look up a medication, a symptom, a diagnosis, wayfinding, Walgreens, where the CVS yeah. is. Right? So whether we say we're getting into healthcare or not, 80% uh, of people before they make an ER visit, within 24 hours of that ER visit, do a Google search. When you get a new diagnosis, you go to Google. Um, this sometimes freaks out lay audiences, but doctors, particularly surgeons, before they do procedures on you, go to YouTube. Right? And they want to check to make sure they're doing the paracentesis the right way. So what we need to do on that consumer piece in particular is we have to make that information better. We have to get the dangerous stuff off. 
we have to make sure that the quacky stuff is five or six pages down and hard to find. And we need to create, through partnerships, an ecosystem that gets more authoritative information. So when you do go to Google, you get those three right things that you should then bring in to discuss with your doctor, not stuff that's going to send you in a wild goose chase. So we're really committed to improving authoritative search, improving uh, information, and, and getting rid of the misinformation. Oh, amazing. And, and that, I think, is, is a big part of it is because right there is, there's a lot of misinformation on there, too, and how do you figure out what, and we, we see that with our patients sometimes, is they'll come in with things and be like, this has nothing to do with you or this is an ad. Um, as far as, where does Google Health, now that they're, 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 they're coming out and putting a lot of effort and energy into Google Health, where does that fall in sort of the Google family? Is that part of the Google AI? Is it, where does it sit within the Google platform? Yeah, so um, Google Health is, this round of Google Health is new. It's about a year old. And it was bringing together three different groups that were already working within health mm -hmm. at Google into one what we call product area. And the three groups were the teams working uh, in London, the DeepMind Health Group, which done amazing work in predicting kidney injury before it happens. Um, the group that was part of the Nest acquisition that was working at health in the home, and the part of the, fo the folks that were working in brain or research specifically around health. So it became a separate product area. And then your question about was Google serious? Um, I think I'm the only product area lead. Products at Google are things like YouTube and Search and Android and um, uh, Geo, which is Maps and Ways. I'm the only product person lead at Google that's not an engineer. So part of the seriousness was um, they needed somebody who knew healthcare, mm -hmm. because I think there was a, an understanding that this is not simply a technological fix like Gmail. Right, right, right. So now that Google, we know Google's serious and they're, and they're bringing in the right people, because again, it is all about the, you know, the theme of, one of the themes of our uh, festival is collaboration, right? So they recognize they can't do it alone. They need to bring in physicians and other people who can help collaborate. Um, Toby had an interesting uh, comment this morning that said uh, innovation is done at the sort of uh, intersection between two separate uh, uh, um, verticals like technology and healthcare, and that's where the most exciting uh, innovation happens. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, you know, when we think about innovation, now from this side, and Eduardo from Ascension said this earlier this morning, you know, is healthcare getting technology or is technology starting to understand healthcare? Like, you know, who's moving faster in which direction? Yeah. It's interesting, or, or is it both? Is it, right. Right? It, it, it really is a combination. So now that we know um, Google Sirius and technology and healthcare are starting to merge, can you think that they can have, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on our healthcare, on our health system, and on the well-being of everybody? Well, when you think of other technologies that have come into our world, and you think how that's made life more helpful, whether that's with knowledge or success or health or happiness, I think healthcare is a perfect example of one that hasn't made those jumps. So we just um, published a paper in Nature uh, the beginning of this year on our mammography work. And I think it's a perfect example. So our mammography work was, what if we do machine learning on uh, mammograms, and we compare that to doctors from six academic medical centers in the United States, 
But we want to give the doctors a head start, so we also gave the doctors those women's previous um, mammograms. We gave them access to the electronic health record. They had genetic information, and in some cases, they had MRIs of the breast. We just had today's mammography. And the results were stunning. You know, a 9% decrease in false positives, a 5% decrease in false negatives. What does that mean? That means that women that are being told, you know, in the United States, in a 10-year period, 50% of women will have a false positive mammography. You know, in the UK and the US, there's about 43 million mammographies a year. This is an individual woman being told your mammography's bad, you gotta come back for a biopsy. Right. And our computer said, no, you don't, and we're significantly better than the docs. And the flip side, where the doctors say, hey, your mammography looks fine, you're okay, but it missed stage one cancer, and we caught it. Yeah. But when you really look at the study, to get back to your collaboration, the best result, because the docs made mistakes, yeah. the computer made mistakes. The best result is the combo. So the impact we can have is if we bring these types of technology into workflow to, in this case, <clears throat> decrease a lot of anxiety and ca catch a lot of cancer, or according to your moonshots, at stage one where we can do something about it instead of stage four. So I think, and, and we can go deep in a lot of these places where I think we can have that level of impact. Yeah, I think you hit it on those. The, well, this isn't actually a new, it's, an, it's not a new idea, right? When I first started and we would get EKGs off the EKG machine, they didn't have anything at the time. They'd have the patient's information and then you'd have to read it. And now I don't think I've seen an EKG in five years that doesn't have the reading from the computer first and then it takes the doc, right? You have to sort of agree with it and say, okay, you still have to read it um, and then you can compare. But um, So it's not a new idea, but certainly the potential for pattern recognition in yeah. all of these areas, radiology, pathology, um, is, is mind-boggling. Yeah, right? in, in the ophthalmology, so yeah, I think it's an amazing story. So we're able to do diabetic retinopathy screening better than, than IDOX. And we've already launched this in Thailand and India and places where you can't get that kind of screening. We've been able to do the screening and get those folks in for treatment to prevent blindness. Um, but the, the mind-blowing part is we have this Google intern who comes and we're trying to teach her machine learning. And we say, put some variables in um, to see how this stuff works. So put things in that you can't tell from the eye, uh -huh. like gender. And she comes back and she says, the computer's able to differentiate between male and females in the retina. And we said, no, there's no difference, go do it again. And she said, well, now it's at, from 70%, it's at 90%. So she was right. And so we're able to look in the picture of the eye and not only tell gender, which may not be very practical, because when I would do eye exams, I usually knew people's sex before I got to their eye. But, the, <laughs> but we're able to, to identify hemoglobin A1C levels, age, blood pressure, cardiovascular risk factors, uh, risk factors of cognitive issues like Alzheimer's. And when you combine that retina picture with EHR information with genetic information, you have even better ways to improve diagnostic accuracy and figure things out. So there's magic in those pictures, in those pixels, that um, really we think would free doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals up to spend time with patients and talk, now what do we do that we have this information, instead of doing the road stuff that actually humans aren't very good at.
Right. And, and I think that the, the power, like you said, is the, the magic is also in the data because the more data you have, the more we do this, the longer we're doing this, the better the predictions are going to become, right? Yeah, we're actually pretty good at um, uh, trying to do it with as little data as possible. So as opposed to more data. So we were able to get really good results on the, on the mammography without uh, you know, what I would call lots of data. So we're really trying to see how can we do this with the least amount to get the positive results. But there is incredible power in uh, the ability, not only with the data, but combining the different data sets. Okay, that's, that's amazing. So uh, you, you, you um, men mentioned the extension uh, um, partnership. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, super, super proud of our work with Ascension. Ascension, uh, to me, is one of the best examples in the United States of an organization incredibly focused on the poor and vulnerable. I think last year, $2 billion of care to the poor and vulnerable. So for when we talk at Google about we want to build helpful products for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, when we say everyone, that is code word for the rich and the poor, right? For those that are online and those that are not online. For those in the developing world and what we call the next billion users in the, devel in the developing countries. So very, very tight alignment with Ascension around their focus on caring for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and then the work we did with Ascension, despite what they say in the newspaper, we're super proud of. So a couple of things. Um, Ascension chose us as a cloud provider for their records. A lot of healthcare companies are moving their records to the cloud. We have cloud services. Uh, Amazon has cloud services, Microsoft and others. Um, and in our cloud services, the information is encrypted in transit. It's encrypted at rest. We have no access to the information. We cannot see, I can't tell you how many medical records there are because we actually charge for storage space, right? So think of it as a warehouse. The only one that has the key to that record is Ascension, right? We are literally uh, a, a more secure way and a safer way. Ascension also decided to use our um, G Suite products, so Gmail and Docs and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And then they asked us in two hospitals to do something special. Two hospitals, not three quarters of the United States, yeah. as the Wall Street Journal said. In two hospitals, they said, could you help us organize the health record? So as a practicing clinician, if you go into these health systems, it, it's like finding a needle in a haystack to try to find a piece of information. Yeah. And you really have a view just for Epic or Cerner. You don't necessarily have a view on that patient for the other parts of their record that aren't in the Epic and Cerner. Yep. So we brought the Google technology of search and created a unified platform for doctors and nurses at two hospitals to search their patient's individual record. So think of it as a Google search bar and you would write in anticoagulation, and it knows, because we know when you do search what you're thinking, that you're really talking about hemorrhage. Or did this patient have an MRI? Boom, it pops up. Has this patient had a pneumovax? Well, there was a fax that came in that's in the record that pneumovax is misspelled in, but boom, it comes up. The same way we've developed search technology to organize the world's information. So we're gonna organize this one patient's information for their doctor using this technology. Now, to do that, there may be times where Google employees are exposed to personal health information. Because if I'm one of those uh, folks on our team that's working with that doctor, mm -hmm. we want to make sure that Mr. Smith's labs are Mr. Smith's x-rays. So to do that, you have to have a business associates agreement with Ascension 
to say, we're going to do something for you. They've asked us to do this. We're going to help organize this record. So those Google folks are trained in HIPAA. It's through a business associates agreement. Ascension has 600 business associates agreement. When you go to any doctor's office, yeah. any hospital, they give you a privacy form that says, we're going to keep your information private, but we have third parties that we work with, like Epic, Cerner, LabCorp, maybe Mayo Clinic, you know, specialty diagnostic insurance lab, companies. insurance companies, billing companies that are going to have to see part of your record to do what we've asked them to do. We had been asked, and the only thing we did was organize the record. We just put it in a way that it was searchable. That's all we did. So very proud that they picked us for cloud. We have no access to the da data. Happy that they're using our, you know, G Suite tools. And we think actually organizing records where doctors now are free to spend time talking to patients and organizing records so they don't repeat the test because they can't find it yeah. is actually really powerful. The other thing that we have in that is autocomplete. So if you're a clinician and you see a patient in the ER like me who's 57, you type 57-year-old white male in the ER complaining of chest pain for four days um, now with shortness of breath, yeah. right? You, how many times have you done that? Yeah. If you do it on our tool, and that search bar was on me, you would write 57, and it auto-completes that sentence for you. Based on your On my record. It that read it's it. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing when you're in healthcare and you say it. When oh, people yeah. outside of healthcare, they're like, wait a second, that's how everything works. No, it doesn't work like that in healthcare. It doesn't. And if so, you know, you can't understand how many times you have to write it sometimes and you're type at the same times. So the press has made this into something that it's not. Yeah. This is not us mining somebody's records to sell ads to learn it from it, to do machine learning, to develop products. This is, we developed this on de-identified data. We brought this to Ascension. We're piloting with them. Every doctor that's using it, of course, is trained because they see a Google search bar uh, on their patient's record. And it wasn't in secret. And so we're actually really, really proud of the work. Um, and we hope that we can demonstrate a real improvement in care, uh, less physician burnout, and um, a, a more joy to taking care of people. Absolutely. And I think part of it is getting people comfortable with it, right? It's, I think that um, very often fear is used to sort of quell innovation, right? Oh, it's going to be, they're, 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 people are going to have access to your records. Nothing's going to be secure. And it creates this fear that, it's, that, that people go, well, we'll slow down. But it really is more hurtful to innovation than it is helpful to secure data or anything. Because as you mentioned, we do this now. It's, it really is no different than when you go to your doctor's office and you know, the, 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 the people checking you in, checking you out, the insurance companies have the same access. And they're just supposed to look at the record for what they're supposed to do. And that's what we were just brought in to organize. We're pretty good, we're pretty good at organizing information. Yeah. Well, as, as a practicing yeah. physician, I'm excited yeah. for you to roll this out to yeah. all, all the hospital yeah. systems so we can, we can all ben, benefit from it. Another, another area that I think is a good example of us bringing Google technology into healthcare is making predictions. So we can predict um, where the flood's going to be, where the fires are going to be. So how can we make predictions in healthcare? So our team in London developed an app that um, the rapid response team, the team in the hospital that gets called when someone's sick, um, uses. And the app looked at creatinine, which is a measure of kidney function, to say, hey, this person's creatinine went up, um, go check them out. Uh, just that. Just creatinine, good user interface, and a communication tool in an app took the time of diagnosing acute kidney injury from four hours to 14 minutes. It um, 
decreased the cost of care 17% and 30% less patients had cardiac arrests. It's a wow. But that was just creatinine. Then we said, okay, well, what if we did our machine learning and artificial intelligence on it? So partnering with the VA, we took that same algorithm, and instead of looking at creatinine, we looked at the person's entire electronic health record in real time as it happens. So it happened to be about 600,000 variables per patient. And now we were able to predict acute kidney injury instead of four hours to 14 minutes, negative 48 hours. So two days before any clinical signs of any deterioration change in any, any sign that we would know as a doc, we would say with 90% certainty, this patient is gonna end up on dialysis. So when you think about that ability to bring those kind of predictions into healthcare, it creates a whole new way of thinking about caring for patients. So if I told you that woman or that man in your waiting room that looks fine is gonna be deathly ill in two days, I don't even know we know what to do with that, right? But maybe we'd stop some nephrotoxic meds and we might wanna check fluid balance. But whatever you would do, it, it, it really gets into anticipatory care by bringing those predictions in. Now, to do those kinds of things, we need access to your creatinine level. Yeah. We need access to, if we're predicting discharge and readmission, I need to know your discharge date. We gotta be very, very sensitive. We not only need to follow the rules, we gotta explain what we're doing here, but the power is unbelievable in how I think we can improve the lives of literally billions of people. Uh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the things that you hear over and over for the last 10 years, everybody talks about that medicine now is a reactive system instead of a proactive system. And I think that's really the first step and a powerful step to changing the way we're treating patients. And as you know, one of our moonshots is driving down uh, and curing chronic disease. And, you know, certainly if you can, if you can understand what's going to happen before it happens, that's one of the ways we do it. Absolutely. Ah, that's that is that's so that's so exciting. The fact that you can predict, like you said, whether uh, whether it's an MI or anything before the patients even enter the enter into the hospital, um, it, magnificent. So, what coming from healthcare? I just want to go back to sort of your road, coming from healthcare and now being in the middle of the 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 merging of technology and healthcare. What do you think the biggest challenges are, um, both? rolling it out, and then also um, having it accepted? I think the, I got the same answer to both. I think it's trust. So I'm convinced that the technology is amazing. It's got issues. We've got to make sure that we don't have bias in it. I mean, there's issues around. I don't want to overplay the technology. The technology, though, blows me away. I literally, the first... Are you surprised now that you have the, the inside The first 90 look? days of, at Google was like the best film festival I've ever been to in my life. Like, so I'd go in, you'd meet these people that are spectacular. Uh, I think we've won the war on talent. So we got these amazing people and they would start telling you what they're working on. And, and it would be a two or three hour meeting and I'd do two or three a day and I did it for you know 90 days. And I was like, whoa, I mean, just blows me away. But we can't do it by ourselves. There's no way. It's got to be with partnership. And when you talk about frontline caregivers, and when I say caregivers, I don't mean doctors and nurses and social workers. I mean doctors, nurses, and social workers, and people that are caring for their own families at home, right? The alpha daughter who's caring for everyone in the family, the elderly couple that's taking care of themselves, the, the elderly person who's alone, the, the self-care. We have to make it easy for these people, all of these people, to become super caregivers, to make it super easy. 
we have made it super hard in healthcare. So the technology is amazing, but if you don't trust us and we can't bring it in a way that actually makes it easier, that's comprehensible, that's affordable, that's dignified, that's culturally sensitive. If we can't make it the way we would give care to, that I would care for my own family, there's, I don't care how good the AI is, it's not gonna work. So we're really, really focused on understanding what people need, especially on the consumer side, and then deep, deep relationships on the provider, provider side, so we're wowing them and making it easy for them. The technology, it would be a shame on us if we can't get this technology into the real world because we don't act in a humble way, we don't act in a thoughtful way, we don't appreciate how hard it is to be a caregiver. Absolutely. So do you see, it's funny, when I was, when I was sort of preparing and I was looking at all the different um, uh, all the different verticals that Google's in, whether it's transportation and the maps. Uh, I was thinking, could you, uh, and I wonder, do you have the same vision that one day um, uh, it's going to be uh, a telemedicine visit with digital health? You literally aren't even going. So well, my point first is medicine's moving from the hospitals back into the community, right? Is Google in line with that? Do you see that as the trend? It Every product that we're coming up with, every product, we hold up against kind of a matrix of, or actually when we prioritize, should we do this? So one, it's gotta be a big enough problem that Google should be involved. It has to be a big enough problem that really somebody else probably couldn't do it, right? So we really want those big things, like we map the world. We're gonna now try to do something that I think- Little, little thing like that. I think this yeah. next one's even bigger than mapping the world. We're gonna actually try to figure out physician directory, but that's a separate <laughs> issue. Um, so um, it, the, the other thing we say is that, by and large, hospitalizations are a failure of outpatient care. Outpatient care is, by and large, a failure of home care. Yeah. And home care, by and large, is a failure of caring for communities. So we want to push as much as we can toward communities. We also want to up-level everyone. And when we say up-level, everyone talks about you know, advanced practitioners. I want to up-level people at home that are taking care of themselves, and then prevent them from even entering the healthcare Give system. them the tools to, to do it correctly Correct. and live longer, healthy, healthier lives without intervention, um, more with proactive. Yeah, so yeah. We, want to we want to fix communities. Esther's here, she's embraced five communities. We're, I, I'm so thrilled that we recruited uh, Dr. Karen DeSalvo as our chief innovation officer, who I think, um, it seems like she won't take, she'll get mad at me, single-handedly brought New Orleans back, right? We want to fix the community of the world. Yeah. Right? We really want to do that same kind of understanding the depths of what's going on in these communities, and each one is different, and bring up the level so that everyone can kind of live their best life. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing. So what are... What are the next steps for you as you go on? So we're, congratulations, you're at your, your, your anniversary. Um, I, you know, you already explained how wild you were on your first yeah. 90 days. How's, how's the rest of the year been? And what are you most looking forward to over the next, let's say, year to two years? So I hope I'm back. I hope you invite me back next year. I uh, hope next year. You heard it. He's coming back next year. Absolutely. Next year, I hope we fundamentally improve the quality of search that you can't find things that make me upset, like drinking bleach, it cures your cancer, right? I, 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 I wanna fundamentally change that. I want people to feel like they got more from search than just information, potentially got to action. I want 
um, thousands of doctors caring for patients in a better way because they're using our tools. And I want to say a year from now, we have fundamentally improved diagnostic accuracy um, using computer vision around imaging. If we can do that in 2020, um, I will be thrilled. Uh, Google, Google thinking is, you know, I don't know, we have 10 companies with a billion users and five with five billion or some insane numbers. Um, we would love to be one of those where we can say we've saved billions of years of life this year and there's billions of people coming to us. Yeah, that's an, I mean, it's an amazing goal. It's, it's your own moonshot. And as, as we know, that's what we're about is audacious goals that everybody thinks is near impossible, like mapping the entire world yeah. um, and having the fortitude and the long-term vision to stick by it and say, we will do it. Partner with companies that believe in your moonshot and, um, and, uh, and help you achieve it. Um, what I was going to say before, which I, I, I was sort of off in my own mind thinking about what the world would look like um, in uh, healthcare in 10 years. And do you see a world where, um, like I, I started to say, where a patient has a telemedicine visit, they then have digital health technology where they're actually getting physical um, vital signs um, back to either a, a physician or even AI. AI is understanding something and then you send it a uh, self-driving car to pick them up to bring them in if they need something. Yeah, we got those too, right? I know, right? That's drones, I mean, you really, you're covering the um, whole... I think fundamentally in 10 years, I feel like we'll be successful if we have helped uh, the healthcare system and communities redesign healthcare so it's actually centered around patients and families. I think we fundamentally have built the wrong system and I think these tools can help us achieve that. How that looks, I'm not sure. Um, but it'll be more affordable, it'll be much easier, the quality will be better, there'll be joy in being a caregiver, um, and health will be something that you don't have to worry about because when bad stuff happens, or if we can predict bad stuff, we can nudge you in the right direction. And as you mentioned, and this is taking care of everyone, this is not just a, a, a local phenomena where we're doing it in the United States, this is the vision for the world, right? Oh yeah, so we're, we're currently, we have a, in our offices in Palo Alto, this uh, big TV screen, and we see how many people are being screened each day in India and Thailand with our diabetic retinopathy screening. These are people that would go blind uh, if it were not for our tool and our partnership with the hospitals there that then said, okay, if you can find the right people, we can do the surgeries. Um, and we said, we'll find the people for you, right? They could not handle the mass of people because of the screening, so we did the screening in essence using our computer vision. Now, we need those charts for every disorder in every country in the world. Yeah, what, a, what an amazing vision. Well, I know we're, we're running out of time a little bit. Um, I, I wanted to thank you. We at Startup Health are so excited about what you're doing. Um, we're excited to partner with you and, and, and be available to, to, to help you with your moonshot. And I know you fit into pretty much every one of ours. So we're, we're, we're just excited. So. Um, we might have time. Is it okay for just there? Are, people had asked sure. for, uh, you know, if they could ask a question, and we might have time for one or just one or two questions, if we can uh, grab a mic. There we go. Uh, hi there. This is uh, Jerry Kilay from Alpha Labs. Uh, my question ties back to the prior presentation, actually, a little bit. 
it ended by saying that we need to mine the water between the caregiver and whoever is on the other end. And I would argue that this is not environmental air or water or anything like that, but, but it's the interconnectivity, empathy, essentially. So as we're moving more and more towards technological and self-help solutions, do you see a way that we can try to maintain this level of empathy that actually gets outcomes and results? How, how could we do that using technology? Yeah, I think fundamentally, I think it's a great question, Jerry. I think fundamentally, um, healthcare is people caring for people. I mean, th that's the core of this business, whether that's uh, a family member caring for someone else or professional. It's people caring for people. The technology, to me, can't get in the way of that. It has to facilitate that and allow us to scale that. So um, th that's how we're thinking about it. So the, the empathy, look, I'm a child psychiatrist. It, it's about understanding what's going on, meeting people where they are, talking about different options. Um, I haven't seen a computer able to do that yet. The computer can help give me the information so you and I can have a more thoughtful discussion and it can actually level the playing field, which is very helpful because it can give you a lot of information, right, if we were in this relationship. And so then, to me, it allows us to have that meaningful interaction and discussion, which is where the healing takes place. I was going to say, and that, we, I spoke about that this morning when um, we're in a system now where doctors are forced, doctors or healthcare providers are forced to do so much additional work that it is necessary, but there has to be a better way because we are losing the human connection yeah. um, at people's most vulnerable times where we say, okay, wait, hold on, let me just, you know, enter this into the record. And if there was a better, more efficient, effective way to do that so we could maintain those connections, I think that's one of the, one of the strongest ways that we can maintain our, our empathy. Um, yep, one, one more. Yep, there you go. Okay. Um, um, yeah, so with GDPR, HIPAA, and CCPA, and the number of AI initiatives that you're working on, how do you balance confidentiality and patient consent notification requirements with respect to pilots and algorithms, um, algorithms development? Yeah, great question. So um, I'd say very carefully. So the, um, uh, the <laughs> it's pretty clear from an IRB standpoint when we're doing research that um, you consent people to what we're doing, right? So most of our work, most of our work, the vast majority of our work is, well, when it's on the cloud, we're not looking at anything and we don't need to and we're happy to just be in the cloud business. When we're doing the research like on the mammography, um, on the diabetic retinopathy work, it's de-identified data uh, that we always do in partnerships with academic organizations and I think it's our moral imperative to come up with these discoveries. Um, and if people are participating in research and it's identified, you need to have their consent. Um, the different countries, it's, it's a little different um, about consent when it's around care. So in the US, for example, um, your healthcare provider does need other people to help provide care to you, and that's through that business associates agreement, and then the consent is at the level of the provider, getting it from the patient, but nobody goes over all 600 business associates agreements. We keep thinking about this one, how we can get more agency there and more understanding. There, there's, 
we do appreciate that we're in a somewhat unique position in that we're also a consumer company and there's, there's worry that we're combining stuff. We're not combining stuff, but to build that trust, I think we really have to think about ways we can give people agency to understand what's going on in this particular instance where we may be exposed to some private health information. I hope that answers. Okay, I know they were talking. Can we do one more? Sure. I, don't, I, know, I know you have to go too. Sure. Uh, well, where's the mic? Is there a mic somewhere? It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Thank you. Outstanding. Uh, I don't think I've ever I've tweeted this much during a call, talk uh, as I have uh, taking notes from what you said, uh, Dr. Feinberg. It seems like this seems, it seems that the focus is on identifying patients who need care. 30% of the care delivered in the United States is unnecessary. Shouldn't the focus be put more on identifying or helping patients identify that they don't need care for a specific ailment, that, we d that Google could play a better role as a triage for unnecessary care rather than a triage for necessary care. It would be a better impact on the overall economic well-being of the system, I would imagine. Yeah, I, w I would push back a little. I'd say it's higher than 30%. So, uh, uh, or I guess I'd push back that I agree more with you than you're even saying. Um, yeah, we think there's ways about digital triage, transparency on pricing and quality, particularly in this country, that we can attack that issue by, uh, I mean, in my last organization, Walmart used us as a center of excellence for spines, hearts, and bariatric surgery. And um, if you were a Walmart associate, a cashier or whatever, and you needed that surgery, they sent you to us, or you had to pay out of pocket full price at any other hospital. And these people were scheduled for surgery. Scheduled, that's how the program got triggered. 40% um, of the time, we didn't operate. <laughs> And I just met with the Walmart folks. They said, actually, the number now is at 50%. So I would call that, uh, in some cases, assault, right? So we're, we're providing <coughs> treatment to the patients that are not, don't have a positive outcome and can definitely cause harm. So we do really focus on that, about how we can um, uh, understand better who needs what and get you to the right level of care. We want to attack that from both sides, both on the consumer side with digital triage and also on the clinical side in understanding better um, the, the, the outcomes and the, the who needs what at what level of care. So completely agree, completely agree except you got to up your percent. And, and that's what you were sort of talking about when you, when you were saying even with the mammograms, identifying Correct. the false positives Correct. as much as the, right. the false negatives. Right. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't, I can't thank you enough. I, I, I feel bad because I would stay up here for at least another hour, and I know that you have places to go, and I know the audience would probably sit here and just continue to ask questions. Thank you so much for being so open, sharing your, vision, your visions, and I have to tell you, as a physician, as a patient, as a family member, very, very excited to see what the next uh, few years brings for you and Google. So, so excited. Thank Thanks so much. All Thanks. Right.